The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. So, uh, you know, I feel guilty sometimes because I have given my precious wife the difficult task of grocery shopping on an extremely modest budget with uh, incredibly high expectations. The goal, here, here's her goal, to get a lot of food for very little money. Alright? Now, to make matters worse, we have two teenage boys who, let's just say, can eat a lot, and that is a vast understatement. So Nikki works so diligently to, to stay within budget, but to do that, and I, I appreciate her doing that, but, but in order to stay within budget, she does something that I am absolutely not fond of. You ready for this? To save money many times, she goes to Walmart and she buys the great value brand of some foods. And she tries to convince me that it's the same thing. Now, it might be in some items, but I emphatically declare that it is not the same on some things, alright? Here's the deal. I remember one of the first times this happened, she tried to pull one over on me. She gets me all excited by handing me one of my favorite treats, a Pop-Tart. Come on, any Pop-Tart fans in here? Alright, anybody got one in their purse this morning? But my joy quickly turned to sorrow as I took my first bite because I realized I'm not eating a Pop-Tart. It is a counterfeit pastry. Come on, somebody. And I don't care who you are. That is just not right. Don't mess with my Pop-Tarts. I will cut you. All right? In, in all seriousness, though, I'm picky about my food. And I'm convinced that there's a difference between name brand and store brand in at least some items. But, you know, throughout Galatians, uh, we have talked for many weeks about two brands of Christianity. And they may look similar from a distance, but they are emphatically not the same thing. And through the text today that that, uh, Pastor Chris Morris just read, we will see with, I think, an even greater clarity the difference between these two brands of Christianity, if you will. And so my prayer today is that you'll leave here captivated, if you're not already, by the real gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in case you're new, let me just break down very quickly these two different brands of Christianity. The first is not actually Christianity at all. It's what I would call counterfeit Christianity. And it holds to salvation by works. It says that you and I can get to God by doing certain things, by keeping the law Or or by going to church or reading our Bible. By doing something. In other words, if we do X, Y, and Z, then we can get to God. And if that were the case, Christianity would really be no different than any other religion. Because that's what every other religion says. You want to get to God? You do this. But that is not Christianity. See, this brand of, of Christianity can be made to look very, very close to the real thing, but it's bitterly different. It it does not get you to God. It actually pushes you away from Him. It does not bring you joy and peace. It brings you great frustration. It brings self-condemnation. Because here's what you realize eventually, that no matter how hard you try, you realize that you are not 
good enough. See, the flaw in this teaching is that the Bible says that we can never make ourselves acceptable before God by our own human efforts. Now, here's the real brand of Christianity. This is what the essence of Christianity really is. It's about grace. It's not about law. It's about grace. And here's what it says. It says that we are all sinners, that we all fall short of the glory of God, and thus none of us, none of us can get to God by our own efforts. That's why Jesus came to us. If we could get to God, Jesus would not have had to come. But hallelujah, He came to us because we could not get to Him. So we are saved. We're made right with God only as we turn to Christ. We're saved, we've said it over and over, but I want you to get this deep down inside of you. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from any human merit. I love how one pastor put it. He said, the difference between uh, the kind of religion, uh, works-based salvation, and grace is really only two letters. You spell works-based salvation, D-O, do. And the focus is on what I can do. But do you know that the real gospel, you know how it's spelled? D-O-N-E. And it focuses on what Jesus has already done. Amen? So in our text today, we find what I think is a really climatic moment in Paul's argument for grace over law. Alright? And false teachers, here's what they're doing. This is what's going on with the Galatians. They are leading these new converts away. They're leading them astray, if you will, by this false brand of Christianity. They're saying that in order to really be saved, to inherit the promises of God, that a person must be connected to Abraham, the forefather of Israel, the great patriarch of our faith. And that's true in a sense, but Paul makes this brilliant argument in these verses. He points out that there are actually two ways to be related to Abraham. A right way and a wrong way. And he appeals to the story of Abraham who had two different sons by two different women. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And Paul starts by giving the historical account of Abraham and these two women and their sons. And then he uses the story allegorically. And then he finally applies it personally to the lives of Galatians. So we will kind of make our way through this text in that same way. And we'll begin by looking at the historical account of Abraham, his two, these two women and their respective sons. Let's look at verse 21 again. Paul writes, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the sons of the free woman was born through promise. Now, Paul is taking us back to Genesis 15, alright? And here's here's what this story um, says. It says that God promises Abraham there in Genesis 15 that he'll have a son and that he will be the father of many nations. But at that time, there was an issue. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, are unable to conceive. Sarah is barren. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever had this kind of God-sized dream in your life? 
God has laid something in on your heart. He has put something inside of you. He's called you to do something. And you are looking at the external circumstances. And you're saying, God, there is no possible way. Have you ever been there? And that's what Abraham is dealing with. God gives him this promise. You're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have descendants as the stars in the sky or the, the, the sand on the seashore. So numerous you won't even be able to count them. And he's saying, hold up, uh, Sarah is barren. How's this going to happen? But I want to remind you that nothing is impossible with God. When you go to chapter 16 in Genesis, and I think we can relate to this, we find Sarah, Abraham's wife, becoming very impatient. She's not getting any younger. And she deems it a good idea to kind of help God out. Have you ever been there? Lord, you're not moving fast enough. I'll just take some things into my own hands. Lord, I can do this. I know you're busy. I, I think he might need my help. And that's what she does. Now listen to this. She suggests something that would have been accepted by the customs of the times, but it might kind of floor you today. She suggests that Abraham sleep with her maidservant, Hagar, so that they could attain a son through her. And Abraham says, sign me up. And they kind of move in that direction. And Ishmael is born to Hagar. So here's what happened. What did Abraham do? He had a promise from the Lord, but he decided not to wait on the Lord. Any impatient folk in here? And he decides to help God out to get a son by his own means. Sarah's barren. She's getting older. And so he says, I'll just do it on my, on my own. My, my in-laws tell me that Nikki used to say when she was real little all the time, I, I do, I do myself. Right? Any, any of you have young children, they want to do everything on their own. We're not much different sometimes when it comes to our relationship with God. So here's the point. Abraham is not trusting God's promises at the moment. He has faith, doesn't he? But his faith is misplaced. He has faith in himself. I think that's a problem with a, a lot of people today. They have faith, but that faith is greatly misplaced. And so, with Abraham's decision comes immediate disaster, as you can imagine. That, that's not a good situation. Causing all kinds of family drama and enmity between Sarah and Hagar. And here's the thing, their plan didn't work. Imagine that. All it did was cause unnecessary pain and suffering. And Abraham's attempt, don't miss this, at self-salvation failed. So when we fail just to rest on, in God's promises and, and wait on Him, how many know we can make that same kind of mess out of our own lives? We're just acting like Abraham and Sarah in that moment. And the results are absolutely devastating. So I want to just remind you, we, we need to wait on the Lord and not get impatient and try to do things on our own. Because here's the deal. God is faithful. I'll say it again. God is faithful. So now you fast forward another 13 years. Abraham is now 99 years old. Sarah, 89. Okay, they're not spring chicks. And God appears to Abraham once again. And here's what he does. He reiterates that he will be the father of many. And here's what he tells Abraham. He says, Abraham... 
I'm going to give you a son by your wife, Sarah. And Abraham laughs. He's like, Lord, have you seen her? (laughs) Have you seen me? Lord, I'm 99. She's 89. You've got to be joking. How many think that God may just have a sense of humor? You know, he can't imagine how God would bring a son through a couple of this age. And as far as he knows, Sarah is still barren anyways. And if she wasn't, she's 89 now, so she kind of might be. That's what he's thinking. So Abraham asked God to fulfill the promise through Ishmael. He says, hey Lord, I don't know if you saw, but like I kind of took care of this on my own. And we had a baby. I, I had a baby with Hagar. He's a cool kid. Why don't you just... You know, point your blessing through him. But God refuses. He says, no, Sarah will bear you a child at this time next year. And then in chapter 21 of Genesis, we find the account of Isaac's birth. And so Paul, going back to Galatians, he sums up the difference between these two births of Ishmael and Isaac. This is verse 23. He says, the son of the slave was born according to flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. In other words, Ishmael was born in just an ordinary way, how men and women just come together and, uh, you know, hopefully you know this story of the birds and the bees. I've only explained this to you this morning, but that just happens and it wasn't, there was nothing supernatural about it. But Isaac was born in a very supernatural way. He was born as a result of promise. It was God stepping into his situation. And so that's the historical account of Abraham, Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, and Isaac. And then Paul moves into more of an allegorical uh, appeal to this story. And so let's look at it allegorically if we would. Look at verse 24. Paul writes, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Okay, now this, by the way, this really happened. The historical account, literal account is true. But Paul says we can learn something from this. There's a point here. He said these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. That would represent the law. Bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. That's what Hagar was. She was a, a servant, a slave. And now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So, he said, what in the world is Paul talking about? Taken in a figurative sense, Hagar represents salvation by works. Salvation by law. Earning your way to God. And Sarah represents salvation by grace. Alright, so here, here's what the true gospel says. It says that you and I cannot attain our own righteousness by human effort. Instead, what do we do? We receive God's righteousness through Christ by grace. And that is a supernatural act of God. Okay, so, so we have to be, if we're going to be saved, what do we have to be? Born again. You see the connection here? That is connected to the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. It's in the process of the new birth. That's a supernatural act that God does by His grace. So just as Abraham had to learn to quit trusting in his own human merit. And start trusting in the promises of God. So Paul says the Galatians need to look to Jesus' work on the cross. Rather than their own law keeping efforts. 
Does that make sense? Hagar, was that this was not God's plan for Abraham. For him to have a son with Hagar. Abraham and Hagar and Sarah in that moment took things into their own hands. And they tried to bring about their own salvation. And Paul says that's not how it works. Those who are saved, those who are free are the ones who are like Sarah. Barren, nothing to give. Morally bankrupt and they know it. But they just put themselves fully upon the grace of God. That's what it means to be saved. You know the issue? We don't like to be dependent on anybody else. We like, especially as Americans, to make our own way. You know, many of you know that my stepdad has been in the hospital for a few weeks. He had a horrific accident. He fell off a roof and broke several bones. And he's just in a lot of pain. And I was there on, on Friday with him. And... The thing you must know about my stepdad, Tim, is that he is the one who is always helping everybody else. He, he, will, he will come to your beck and call. Uh, it doesn't matter what time of night it is. It can be early in the morning, late at night, it doesn't matter. He'll help you um, in any way, shape, or form. He'll do anything he can for you. He's a very independent person. He doesn't rely on many people to help him out. He'll, he'll hardly ever ask for you to do anything for him, but he gives and he gives and he gives. Friday, I'm with him in the hospital room, and, and he needs to get up out of the bed, and he's just trying just to sit up. This strong man who is uh, you know, just such a giver and, and blesses so many and helps so many, and he's trying to sit up, and I, he, he's not making eye contact with me because he doesn't want my help. So he's groaning, and he's moaning, and uh, he was in so much pain, and finally he kind of just looks up at me. I said, you need help, don't you? And uh, so he said, just give me your hand. And so I took his hand and with all the strength I had, kind of pulled him up. And I could tell how hard of a time he's having. He's so frustrated because he wants to do it on his own. And he had hip surgery. He can't put any pressure on that leg right now. And he's struggling and he's um, at the mercy of nurses and family, so on and so forth. And and so I think we can relate to that when it comes to even salvation, our relationship with God. Deep down in us, we've somehow been trained. I think this is part of who we are, um, our fallen nature. We have this desire to be self-sufficient. We want to do it ourselves. And, And when it comes to God... We think, we cannot, it's so hard for us to accept uh, salvation by grace through faith. Because we feel like, Lord, surely you need me to do something. Surely there's something that you need me to do. It can't be this simple. It can't just be the finished work of Christ. Lord, I I believe in Christ and I believe that's something. But I, I feel deep down that I've got to do something else. What is it? And so... We try it often, you know, in, in this world to work our way to God, but it doesn't work. It didn't work from Abraham, and it won't work for us. So Paul begins here to contrast law and grace. All right? And so let me give you some differences in law and grace that he points out here. Number one, the difference between law and grace is the difference between slavery and freedom. Look at verse 22. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. 
Okay, by implication, Ishmael was born into slavery and Isaac born into freedom as a son and an heir. So here's the great news about grace. Grace means that you and I are free. People don't get this, alright? Grace means that we are free. See, if, if it is salvation by works, then you're never free. You can never rest in the promises of God. You can never just go, hey, I, I know I'm saved. I know that I know that I know. No, every day you get up and you go, oh, I've got to do something. I better walk the walk and talk the talk or else. And, and don't misunderstand me. We believe in this covenant that works are very important. But the burden is not on you to earn your way to God and earn your keep with Him. And, and I'm afraid He's going to kick me out of His house. I, I'm afraid I'm not going to be a son anymore. We don't have that burden in sons and daughters of God. We get to just serve Him as sons and daughters. And just enjoy being His kids. Enjoy being part of the family of God. That burden is not there. That's what it means to be free. Because if I feel like today and tomorrow or next week that I've got to do something to stay in His quote-unquote good graces, then I'm not free. I'm going to be worried and frightened all the time, not knowing from one moment to the next where I stand with God. There's another difference He points out in verse 23. He says, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Well, the son of the free woman was born through promise. And this is natural versus supernatural. Ishmael was born under normal, natural means. Isaac, again, born under supernatural means. So God was deliberate. I believe this. God was deliberate in waiting 25 years when granting Abraham and Sarah a son. Do you ever think about these things? Like, God, couldn't you save them a lot of trouble and just the moment you gave them the promise, give them the child? In my mind, my human mind, that would make sense. But see, God doesn't want to do things in a natural way. And so, as they are old in age, 99 and 89, and when, they, the, the children, the, or when Isaac was born, it would be 190, everybody would know this is an impossibility. God must have done it. And so may I suggest to you today that, that maybe in your life, that... that Maybe your situation looks like it does that because God is about to show up and show off. Because people would look at you and go, hey, there's no way that person could be where he's at or she couldn't be where she's at. It must have been the Lord. And see, it's that same way when it comes to our salvation. You cannot get to God by natural means. By keeping the rules. By following the Ten Commandments. You can't do it. That would be natural means and God would not receive the glory. You'd receive the glory. So because of the law, we know um, that, that transgressions were increased. That, that no one, as the Bible teaches, can keep the law perfectly. Not a person in here that can do it. And so if we're saved by law, here, here's the thing. We're all hopeless. And the truth is, we're like Sarah. We're barren. We're hopeless. We're morally bankrupt. We have nothing to give to God. But it's a chance for God to show up in His grace and bring us into His family supernaturally. I love when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, this very religious man in John chapter 3. 
And he's wanting to know how he can be saved, how he can come into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says to him in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is thinking naturally, and he, he see, this is where we go. Well, well, how do I do that? He says, well, well, Jesus, like, would I enter my mother's womb a, a second time? That's kind of weird, right? No. He said, Jesus says, you, you're missing it. Verse 5, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, one is born of the water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is a supernatural work of God, salvation. Those who are, you know, saved are, are not saved by natural means. By doing what we're capable of doing. Salvation comes only by a supernatural work of God in which we're born of spirit. Third contrast here. Present Jerusalem versus the Jerusalem above. What's Paul talking about? See, Hagar, this slave woman, corresponds to the present Jerusalem, which in Paul's day was full of religious people who rejected the grace of Jesus Christ. And so they're still in slavery, trying to do it themselves. And he says, that's who Hagar represents. But Sarah represents the, the, the Jerusalem above, heaven, where there is true freedom. So people who are in law-based, works-based religion, and there's churches all over our country and world today that are in this kind of religion, they are not connected to the earthly or the heavenly Jerusalem. They're connected to the earth, earthly Jerusalem. They're rejecting Christ, really, His work, His grace. They're nullifying the grace of God. And they're trying to get to heaven themselves, but they won't. They can't. It's the people who just put themselves again totally upon the grace of God. There's a fourth contrast that Paul gives, and it's the uh, persecuting versus the persecuted. Look at verse 29. He says, Just as the time that he who was born according to the flesh, talking about Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, Isaac, so also it is now. Now here's what we know from Genesis, that Ishmael was the instigator of many problems for Isaac. There were family issues. There were, there were issues between them for a very long period of time. And not much has changed today. You know what? It's always those who are under the law that come against those who preach grace and hang on to grace. Law people get so mad at grace people. Because, you know why? They're so insecure about their salvation. And they are astonished that you would claim when you are not on your moral high horse like they are, that Jesus would accept you and you're part of the family that they're part of. They hate it. You mean you don't wear your skirt to the floor and your hair long and you're no man? And you think you can get to heaven like me? What's wrong with you? You mean, you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't... And you go, oh, it's, see, it's already been done. It's already been paid for. I'm resting in Jesus' finished work. And they will be your... But yeah, 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 but, 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 you have to, you have to you do this, do this. And they're laying in bed every night wondering if they're saved or not. And they're furious with you. Legalistic people are horrible to be around. Legalistic pastors, and I have no one in mind here, 
But legalistic pastors, if you've ever been under one, it's miserable. Because you'll leave feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But you sit under the teaching of grace and you realize that Jesus bore that burden already. You don't have to carry it. And there's a big difference. Here's the most important contrast, the final one. Those who live under law are cast out. Those who live under grace are kept in. Verse 30, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Here's what I want you to understand. Works-based salvation and grace-based salvation are not two options that you get to choose both leading to the same path. No. One leads to life, grace. One leads to death, law. That's it. And just like Hagar, Paul's point here, just like Hagar was cast out, if you are not clinging to the grace of God in the finished work of Jesus Christ, if you're trying to earn your way to God through your good works, you won't make it. You're not a son, you're not a daughter. You'll be cast out that the grace of God, the, the work of Jesus will not be of any effect to you. So that's the allegorical application. Uh, Paul is pleading with these Galatians saying, listen, hold true to this real gospel that we're saved by grace, not by works. Because you don't want to be like Hagar. You don't want to be in slavery and bondage your whole life and eventually not make heaven. You want to be like Sarah. Come to God and just rest in His grace. It's powerful. And then Paul finally gives personal application. Interesting here, he, he quotes in verse 27, Isaiah 54, 1. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, what in the world is Paul doing here? Stay with me. I know today's a lot of history and going back to, to Genesis. This is really powerful here. Originally, this prophecy from Isaiah was for the Jewish exiles in Babylon. The remaining Israelites questioned if their national life would continue. You know, they, they were being punished, Israel was. And they, they had stepped away from the Lord and they were guilty of many things. And so God sends them into exile and they now feel at the end of this, they feel weak. They feel like every nation is stronger than them. And they think our days as a nation is over. We'll never have our land again. But God says to them too, through Isaiah, your story's not over. And the Lord says, I'll make you numerous and great. And the prophecy here looks back to Genesis. And that promise to Abraham and Sarah. And God chooses, I love this, to save the world through the barren one, through the old one, the helpless one, the hopeless one. And then through her lineage, her family would come, uh, through her family would come another miraculous birth. Born to a woman who was a virgin. And through that miracle, that son, Jesus Christ, through him, all the peoples of the world would be blessed. And this is the fulfillment of what God spoke to Abraham many years ago. And that's the grace of God at work. Grace to the barren. 
Israel in this verse, they thought that their story was over. Abraham and Sarah thought their story was over. But just when they were about to throw in the towel, God shows up in a powerful way. And He says, you being weak and frustrated and helpless and understanding your own depravity, you're right where I can use you now. And maybe you came into real life today in that way. And you came in and you feel barren spiritually. Fruitless. Going, I have nothing to give to God. I'm weak. My family's a mess. My finances are a mess. I'm just distraught. And I believe God would say to you this morning what He said to Israel. I'll take care of this. You're right in the position where I can use you. See, God gives grace to the barren. In the ancient world, to be barren was a big deal. It was to be marginalized. It was to be ridiculed. It was to be thought very little of. So Sarah dealt with this barrenness her whole life. And she's so humiliated. She wants to give her son an heir. So she says, listen, just take Hagar. Imagine. Just sleep with this other woman because I am not enough. Think of Sarah. Think of the brokenness. She began to be jealous of Hagar and see that this woman gave Abraham that prized son. She was broken. 99 years old now. The lowest point in her life going, never happened. We just wanted a child. We wanted an heir. And it's just going to go to Ishmael now. I wanted my own son. But before her story's over, God shows up. And I just want to declare to you today that your story is not over. You come in here barren, broken, beaten down. Your story's not over. I've done prison ministry almost my whole life. You know why? Because I like meeting people at their lowest point. When they know there's nowhere to look but up. It's religious folk that drive me crazy. Because they think they're better than they are. And God's unable to do anything in that mess. Wednesday night I was over at the halfway house. And I'm taking them through another session of bondage breakers. And I had 12 new men. Many of them I didn't know. And as we began to talk through the gospel. And I began to share stories of of all of these 12 men are, are, are dealing with addictions. Drug addictions, those kinds of things. Most of them have lost everything. Family, jobs, money. They've laid it all down because of drugs, because of addiction. And most of them, I I, I go here quite frequently, and when you talk with them, their mindset is, this is just who I am. This is what I grew up in, and this is the way it's always going to be. Kind of like Sarah probably thought. It's always going to be barren. So they say, when I get out, I'm going to do the same thing and I'll be back again. That's why I love sharing the gospel with them because the gospel changes everything. Changes everything. And on Wednesday night, after church here, I went over about 8.30 and I sat around with these men who were broken and they looked tough on the outside, but I've learned something. On the inside, they're broken and they're like little children crying out 
And I sat down with 12 men. Seven of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ that night. And I watched, I watched their faces. As I shared stories of people that have been freed by the power of God from addiction. As I began to share the, the gospel with them. I watched their faces. They, they came in a little bit despondent and tired and frustrated and numb, indifferent. And all of a sudden, I just saw a glow in their eyes, in their countenances. I said, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And their gloom began to turn into great joy. And and I watched as I prayed, their, their eyes, these indifferent men, these broken men, these hurt men with walls all around them. I, I watched before my eyes on Wednesday night around the conference table. We weren't even in a church. Hallelujah. And I watched their eyes, their faces just begin to change and then begin to weep. And they, I said, guys, this is for you. I said, you may say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I said, I don't care. Because where sin abounds grace, the more. Hallelujah. And so I'm believing, just like we've had several success stories, I believe those men have received deliverance. I believe that the captives have been set free. Hallelujah. And I want you to know you're no different today. If you are broken and you say, Pastor, you don't know all the bad stuff I've done. You don't know the mess of what I've made out of my life. There's no hope. You're in a great position for God to use you. I'm going to open up this altar. I'm going to ask some of our uh, staff to come down and help me pray for people. If your life is just maybe in shambles right now or you just need the Lord, whatever it is you need prayer for, I invite you to come. But if you've never, listen to me, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ and rested fully upon His grace, this is your day. You talk about the weight of the world being lifted off your shoulders. This is your day. There's nothing like trusting Jesus. Quit trying to earn your way to God and rest in His grace. Enjoy the assurance of being a son, of being a daughter. Enjoy being a citizen of heaven, connected to God, being part of the family of God. I I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I told Nikki, we were at a funeral a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, very, very, um, her uncle was one of the most loved people I've ever seen. Um, And and just, I mean, people constantly, from all walks of life, how awesome, how he's impacted and then I just started, how you do, you know, you start thinking about death. And I thought about my funeral, and I said, mine will be kind of funny. Because I'm going to have probably a lot of people in jumpsuits there, or the orange, you know, suits. And I said, I'm going to have drug addicts, and I'm going to have prostitutes, and probably strippers. Not because I hang out in strip clubs, but uh, just to clarify. But I'm just saying, I, and, and you know what I love about that picture? I think that's going to be the picture of heaven. It's not just going to be one type of people. It's going to be the broken, the barren, the marginalized. Grace to the barren. That's what this story is about. And so if that's you today, I invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. And I want you to run to this altar and just ask God to pour out His grace on you today. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You for Your sacrifice. We thank You for Jesus today. That that He has come and that He has died and that He has 
uh, risen, Father, today. We thank you that we have redemption in him. We thank you that he became a curse so that we're no longer under the curse of the law. We don't have to earn our way to you because we already have his finished work that we can rest in. If there's one here, O oh Lord, that has not repented and called upon your name, Lord, let him call out to you today. Hallelujah. Let him call on the name of the Lord and thank you that all who call on your name are saved, Father. We thank you. If there's one here today that needs healing in their body, in their mind, a father, whatever it might be, going through family problems, financial problems, whatever it is, God, I pray as we pray for them, God, that your perfect will would be done and you would, Lord, just minister to them according to your spirit. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Tiffany, lead us. Let's pray together today. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.